Hello, and welcome to Politics War Room with James Carville and I'm Al Hunt. We have a very special year-end wrap show with four very special guests uh, today. Jill Abramson, who was executive editor of the New York Times, now a Harvard professor and mother of our favorite doctor, Cornelia Griggs. Roger Altman, the founder and senior chairman of Evercore, the prestigious global investment banking firm and a former deputy treasury secretary. Walter Dellinger, former solicitor general and dean of the Duke Law School, who with Seth Waxman and Don Varelli led the Biden legal team to prevent Trump from stealing the 2020 election. And George Stevens, playwright, film director, honored with an Academy Award for Lifetime Achievement, whose must-read book, My Place in the Sun, The Golden Age of Hollywood in Washington, will be out this spring. And remember, we love taking your questions, so write to politicswarroom at gmail.com or send a tweet to at Politicon for next week's show. And please check out the links to this week's sponsors, ExpressVPN, in the show notes. We thank you for supporting the sponsors that helps make this podcast happen. Please tell your friends about us and remind them to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, James, a highlight of our week is our Sunday Zoom call with a fascinating and eclectic group of smart folks. You know, they include Seth Waxman, Fred Wertheimer, William Woodson, Ann Applebaum, Walter Pincus, and Mike Tackett. But today we have with us Jill Abramson, Walter Dellinger, Roger Altman, and George Stevens. What a show this is going to be. Jill Abramson, tell us, what was the biggest story of 2021? Well, it's a story I hate, but I think it was the January 6th insurrection. Uh, Not only because of the event itself, but because, you know, it put in bold relief the very precarious state of our democracy. And, you know, it seems every month we learn more um, to suggest how very close uh, Donald Trump and his supporters came to subverting the 2020 election. And I, I just think that's the big one. I mean, there... There are plenty of others, you know, COVID, COVID's continued raging and toll on the population. In some ways, you know, the, the strength of the, econ- of the American economy was a big story. You know, an underappreciated story is some of the significant legislation that President Biden was actually able to get through Congress his his first year, but, you know, we haven't seen anything like the spectacle of the people who crashed into the Capitol and tried to occupy the House Speaker's office, and, you know, people died in that well, let me let me get Walter Dellinger so. to pick up on that. And if anybody out there has not watched the HBO Four Hours at the Capitol, you ought to watch it. Because if you think it was bad, it was much worse. Uh, and Walter, um, the rule of law um, really is, is, is in, maybe in perilous shape after 2021. Well, it took a tremendous blow and nothing that happened in the final 11 months of uh, 2021 could possibly atone for the blow that the rule of law suffered in the first month of the year. And and I don't mean specifically the crimes of January 6th itself. Um, As horrible as the assault on the Capitol was, 
crimes do not themselves undermine the rule of law and their civil and criminal processes ongoing. The, um, the real blow to the rule of law commenced a, commenced a few days after January the 6th. And that was when one of our two major political parties and its leaders, um, they denied, excused, rationalized, effectively condoned the assault and rejected the process by which we choose our president. That was the greatest blow, I think, the rule of law has encountered in, in 231 right. years. Um, and what happened the rest of January was the, was a blow to the rule of law even greater than what Roger, happened we'll get sixth. back to that, but Jill alluded to one, I, I guess, a bit of good news, which was the economy in 2021. Talk about the economy, both the U.S. economy and vis-a-vis uh, -vis the Chinese economy. The outlook for 2022 is very strong. The first quarter may be a little weaker than might have been the case without the Omicron variant, but I think overall it's going to be about 4.5% real growth, which is an amazing number, and we're going to see unemployment come back down the official rate to 3.5%, possibly even lower. Uh, yes, we have uh, stubbornly high inflation, and it'll probably be in the 35 to 4.5% range for next year. But I don't think that's so high as to uh, destabilize any aspect of the economy other than possibly uh, some uh, consumer sentiment, but not seriously. So we're just seeing a powerful uh, U.S. economy. And by the way, you asked about China. We're probably growing because the Chinese numbers are always hard to pin down and not usually reliable, the official numbers. But we're probably growing at least as fast as China is right now. Boy, that hadn't happened in a long time, has it? No, it hasn't. And it's probably not a long-term thing because China's a much bigger and much less developed country. But, you know, China's hobbled by problems in its real estate sector, very uh, visible, uh, 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 publicly, you know, known problems. It's it's hobbled by export weakness, and it's hobbled by its own zero COVID strategy. They just locked down the entire city of Xi'an, which is 13 million people, and I mean locked down. So China's struggling a little bit right now, but the U.S. economy is not. George Stevens, um, what is your take on? I guess American culture and entertainment in the backdrop of the pandemic this past year. The pandemic this past year. The when you think about say New York, which is the sort of hub of of American entertainment and culture. You know, Broadway was closed for over a year. It reopened, and now plays are closing. And they're closing not to come back because they just can't weather the storm. And it's had such an effect on the, the people who give us the entertainment. And I'm not talking about the stars or producers, but you think of New York as a city full of, of dancers with so many dance companies and young men and women come there and make their lives doing that in the American Ballet Theater, the New York City Ballet, Twyla Tharp, all of these dance companies, and suddenly their world ended. 
there was no work, you know, and they really became out of work uh, laborers. And that's true on Broadway. So, and, and that I described New York, but it's the same true in other cities. So the personal uh, human factor has been huge. And, and I think that's, uh, you know, one to pay attention to. Let's turn to the star of our Sunday Zoom call, the self-described professor of trashology. I hope I pronounced it correctly, uh, Dr. Carville. Take it away on politics or anything else. Well, I have one question for the group. Bill Parcells famously said, you are what your record says you are. All right? We're two years into this pandemic, one year into this administration, 44,000 deaths being projected. No one can get a test. The CDC honestly doesn't know whether to wind its butt or scratch its watch. Every day you're coming out with some other record. Why shouldn't Joe Biden fire Dr. Fauci and Dr. Walensky? And anybody that has to do anything with mass distribution or anything else. This is not, this is not an acceptable record. I'm sorry. Please feel free to defend. Okay, Joe Abramson, fire Dr. Fauci and Dr. Walensky. I don't think, well, here, I'm bringing in okay. Dr. Griggs. Dr. Griggs is in the house. So, <laughs> Dr. Fauci is brilliant. Like, he just, in ter- even before COVID, the most well-regarded, well-respected infectious disease doctor in the country. And... The thing about science happening in real time is that things do change and our knowledge evolves. And I think something that has been a spectacular failure that has been really highlighted this week is just the complete weakness of the the CDC. And I think it's really unfair to say that Rochelle Walensky should take all responsibility of that because she was put in charge of what was already a failing organization that had been completely impotent throughout the pandemic prior to her taking charge. Um, So it's really hard to say like whose head should roll for what I perceive now to be like a spectacular failure on the part of our government to convey a consistent message to our public and to provide any sense of confidence or reassurance that things are being handled thoughtfully and confidently at the level of organizations like the CDC. I mean, I've, I've had a good chuckle at all the CDC me- memes this week, but any, sh- I think, any shred of credibility that they had with people who were hanging on is is gone, obliterated as of this. Cornelia, what would I you mean, like to see done, you know, right away, immediately? I mean, I'd like to see some some real, you know, confident, speedy, real-time data on sequencing. Like, what are we dealing with? Is this all Omicron? It seems to be. Um and if, if it is, if we are so confident that these cases are going to be more mild, like show me the evidence, show me the data. Is there enough to even make that judgment call right now? Like 
the hedging, the hemming, the hawing, the inconsistencies, the changing of the guidelines, like the, the perception right now is that shortening of the isolation period to five days was done in, in corporate interest, basically to get people back to work and, and not in the interest of saving lives or protecting Americans. And that is a spectacular, like, marketing messaging failure. Even if the even if the science and the data is sound that people are safe to go back at five days, it just seems so flippant, and and really invalidates the credibility of all of the doctors who have been urging our patients to take this seriously and to quarantine away from their loved ones and to upend their lives, and um. It just feels like everything that's happening this week serves to validate the hypothesis that this was all hysteria. And that for someone like me, who's taking care of sick kids, who's taking care of real people who died, who's held the hand of real family members as they were sobbing, losing their loved ones, who's talked to so many of my friends who are staffing ICUs across the country, like ready to quit and go start a Medispa. I love it's it's just like it's so it feels like all of that has been undermined look this is like Sunday everybody weigh in anybody Roger George Walter I just have a question to what extent is CDC thought of as an independent agency and if so is that a bad idea uh, that it should be immune from you know quote political direction unquote I don't know the answer. I don't know the answer. Do you, Jill? No, no. I don't. Well, we'll come back to that. Uh, let me let me change the subject just for a second. Uh, uh, Roger, let's pick up on what we talked about earlier, the threats to democracy. You were talking about an Ann Applebaum podcast that you listened to the other day. Man, there's there's for all the good news about the economy, there, there ain't a lot of good news about uh, democracy around the world, is there? Well, everybody has their own view of what the most serious problem facing at least the United States is. But I, I, my two cents is that this is by far the biggest one. This transcends COVID. It transcends economic issues. It transcends, frankly, uh, various racial issues. And Because if we lose democracy the way we think of it, uh, we won't be able to make progress on any of those. And we'll lose the country we have known and loved. Uh, and 2022, the election of 2022, and in particular, the presidential year of 2024, are going to be uh, very risky uh, with enormous stakes in terms of efforts to subvert elections, uh, suppress the vote, and uh, try on the part of uh, very well-organized factions to turn this country into a conservative authoritarian state. And Apple and Applebaum pointed out, which really stuck with me, that when uh, a majority of citizens think that too much change is happening in the country too fast, uh, demographic change, economic change, various types of social change, they often fall back on authoritarianism. Uh, so this is really right on the table. We could lose it. And uh, it's incumbent on those who want to preserve it, and that's 
certainly everybody on this uh, on this on this call and among the uh, you know the roundtable uh, to get off uh, their rear ends and do something, uh, and that and, th and that includes holding on to a series of, of offices in key states like Michigan and Wisconsin and Pennsylvania and Arizona and Nevada, where election certification responsibilities lie. If you lose the Secretary of State position in Wisconsin, in uh, Michigan, and the Attorney General race in Michigan. Uh, and the and the election in 2024 in that state is really close from a presidential point of view. The Repub the other side will figure out ways to steal it. And so, uh, the 2022 election and 2024 elections may be among the most important uh, in the history of the country. Walter and James, I want you both to jump in uh, and talk about whether the Trump and January 6th people are going to be able to slow walk this and get away with it. And uh, what should or what is Merrick Garland doing? James, you want to start? I, I, before I do that, I want to go back to my original question, because apparently, according to this group, no one is in charge of public health in the United States. We can't blame anybody. We don't have any testing. We got confusion. But it's a, it's a system that you, what, what can you do about it? Well, if there's nobody running the show, then tell us. Well, I, all right. Yeah. I mean, for okay. better for better or worse, the Biden administration is in charge of managing COVID today. Right. Right. And uh, uh, various types of criticism and unhappiness, objectively speaking, have to be laid at the feet of the Biden administration. So we one year into this and you cannot find a test, but that's nobody's fault. We started out this testing and the South Koreans, testing, 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 all right? We've had one year. We've supposedly got all these logistical geniuses in the government and you can't find a test. But I'll move on to the question. Well, I, I have yeah, yeah. I have made my point. Yeah, you have. It, but but no one is accountable for anything. Well, so, go so ahead. I, I don't. I, you know. I mean, maybe Garland is doing something. Maybe he's amassing evidence that we don't know about. But we just went through a four-year crime spree in this country, and I don't know. It doesn't seem like the Department of Justice is that very upset about it. But I but I don't know because. I mean, I defer to Walter who's been there, people who know more than I do. Maybe they're doing something that I don't see. But on the surface, I think they have a rather cavalier attitude about all this. Well, I, I hope that's not fair, uh, James. Uh, it could be that that uh, that Merrick Garland's 30 years as a judge didn't uh, prepare him for the um, uh, rough and tumble um, uh, of modern political life. He's been... Uh, um, sequestered in the in the courthouse building for three decades but i think uh i look forward to 2022 being merrick garland's year i think he's going to call him right he's being very careful he's not watching the clock of when the midterms are uh there's not a partisan bone that he will uh, uh let influence his decisions uh and i think um he his department does not leak, and I think we have every reason to believe they are proceeding, and they'll do what they do. I just think it's premature to tell, and he's not getting up on a soapbox, and I think that's 
uh, in the end, that will give uh, a lot of credibility to the department and what it does. Walter, I hope you're I just right. Think, I just think it's premature. I just think it's premature. I'd feel better uh, if Robert Kennedy were at the Justice Department right now, but uh, but I hope you're right. Uh, Jill, George? I mean, I just don't feel optimistic about the Justice Department right now because I think on just about every policy that I care about, um, many of which are coming before, you know, the most conservative Supreme Court in my lifetime. I just feel 2022 may be the year where, you know, the long-seated Reagan revolution that has been spearheaded by the Federalist Society and other right-wing elements in society. I feel 2022 may be the year it all comes home to roost. And, you know, I, I shudder to think of that. And I think the Justice Department, if the Supreme Court does, you know, reverse uh, precedent on issues ranging, you know, from obviously abortion to, you know, relaxing even further, you know, uh, gun laws. And, you know, we may even see the court decide to take this ridiculous affirmative action lawsuit against Harvard that would effectively reverse, uh, you know, the, the most important decisions involving the policy of affirmative action. So, I don't really see how 2022 is going to be the year of Merrick Garland or Joe Biden's Justice Department. Look, I, I, I don't disagree with that. Let me just say quickly that the the work that that the Solicitor General, Elizabeth Proligar, is doing is absolutely She's spectacular. Great, Her argument in the, in the abortion case from Mississippi and Texas were just terrific, and they'll file a great brief in the Harvard affirmative action case. I think they're doing what they can do. I mean, they've got six justices that, right. that are, are at least five of them are willing to tear everything up. James, how about the election next year? Right now, the conventional wisdom is the Republicans will certainly take the House and maybe the Senate. Well, I, 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 I certainly would lean toward conventional wisdom. But if, as, as Roger points out, as we look back, there's massive, massive accomplishment shift as economy the, the consumer confidence number was actually going up pretty good. And at, at some point, if you have a, a, a noticeable uptick in consumer confidence, you, you're going to have a, a, some uptick in, in presidential job approval, if, if history is any guide. And, and Roger says this, and I, I completely believe him. This is assuming that they can figure this COVID stuff out. We could be ripping and running here. So I... I, I kind of hard to argue against conventional wisdom when you look at the current election results, the current polling, but things that politics is a moving ball. And if if people are right about the, the future of the, the, the economy in this country, it could be pretty, could be a lot better than people think. Roger? Well, it's going to be a strong economy unless some new factor intervenes or, and interrupts it. Uh, and uh, right now, it's, it's, it's somewhat of a mystery, I think, 
that the president's approval ratings on the economy are underwater, given how strong it is this minute. Yes, there's a lot of unhappiness over inflation, which at the moment, this very instant, is running at high levels, around 6.5%. That's going to be lower next year. It won't be as low as everybody would like it. But um, uh, uh, workers in this country, in the low, lowest quintile of wage rates and the second lowest quintile, are, are ahead this year, even after inflation, because uh, we're seeing a labor shortage in reality and wages are going up as a result, which is, God knows, a welcome development. I don't know how it will play out politically. That's, you know, that's not my, my, my expertise. But we are going to have a strong economy. And if you were President Biden and you were, you know, a year and a half ago uh, writing down on a piece of paper the kind of economy you'd like to see in 2022, you couldn't possibly hope for something better than this. Let's turn to the other guy, um, Donald Trump. Uh, is Don, everybody weighing Donald Trump is uh, on December 31st. Is he stronger or weaker than he was last January 21st? And is he going to pay any price politically or legally, anybody weigh in. Well, I think the, the, the not, not tie it to specifically to Trump, but the, I never thought I would live in an America where a majority of the population believed erroneously that the election had been stolen and we are living under an a, an illegitimate president. You know, and we certainly, we have Donald Trump to thank for that. And, uh, and the fact that that belief continues uh, suggests that in one way or another, uh, he's as strong as he ever was. James Waller? I'm being a nitpick, but I, I don't think it's a majority of the country. Yeah, I was yeah, thinking I, that. I, it's I, a majority I, of the Republican it's Party, a, right. It's, it's very high, but not, not a majority. But, but your point is well taken. I just... Oh, thank you. Uh, okay. Nitpick on the fact check here. Go right. ahead. <laughs> well, the number, to put a concrete number on, 73 million Americans had four years to look at, listen to, and assess Donald Trump and voted that they wanted four more years of that. That, to me, is the most distressing figure of, of, of recent times. Anybody think he'll be indicted? Silence. I well, I, 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 you know, I advise the Manhattan DA's office, but I, I don't have any access to the grand jury material. Uh, I just, I think we don't know, and that office has been extraordinarily professional, and it has been leak-proof. There've been no leaks from Cy Vance's Manhattan DA's office, and they have uh, an outstanding group, and they've brought in uh, excellent additional people outside the office to help them and. I think um, it's a big, un, un, a big unknown, but I think people have sort of forgotten about it precisely because that office is so professional and leak-proof. Jill, what do you hear up there? Uh, I have no idea if he's going to be indicted. I worry that if he would be indicted, that that would actually end up in an odd way strengthening him. It makes him you know, the star of um, the the media show once again, it will, you know, it will be seen uh, by his supporters as a illegitimate, uh, 
you know, political witch hunt. I think it will be seen as political by, you know, a lot of non-Trump supporters who will see the Manhattan DA um, as an institution dominated by liberal Democrats in a very true blue city. And, you know, I, I'm, I just am not sure, you know, what that it, it would weaken Trump other than the possibility that he would actually be sent to jail, which I think is a very, very slim and remote one. James? Well, you know, on, on going to jail, just let me add, you can imagine the Saturday Night Live skit because presidents have a statutory entitlement to Secret Service protection for the rest of their lives. So I can see the guys with the earpieces going, orange package to cell block 12, <laughs> orange package to cell block 12, come in. I mean, it's just, it's, it, it, that is itself hard to imagine. James? I, I think... I think what you do in a nation of laws is, is you, you punish criminals. And it's pretty right. Right. what I think, right? And you, you don't worry about the consequences. There's a crime. Criminality cannot just go, well, no, it's kind of risky. They'll think it's all political or something. No, if, if there's evidence of a crime, you have to pursue it, period. Well, no. There's no excuse for allowing criminality to go unpunished. Well, I think we all can agree on that. But if he's indicted, James, do you think it could redound to his advantage? Do you think uh, that? that out, you know, you say that. You know, first of all, how strong is the case? That's that. It's, it's one thing, you know, if you indict a ham sandwich. Okay, <laughs> it's another thing if you can lay it out in a way, and people will see. But you know, be twelve people. But it doesn't matter if he if if there's criminality, you have to go after it. There's no excuse for it. You lose the whole game when you would you know if not it 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 can't be something you know that's a kind of seventy thirty kind of case. But if if it's clear, then put it out. You can't let this go. You just can't. Look, look at what we let go of, we're trying to let go on, on, on January the 6th. I mean, it's a massive act of criminality. It, and you just can't let it go. I'm sorry. <clears throat> Anybody else want to weigh in on that? Roger, George? Okay. Jill, let me ask you. I, I must admit, I don't understand the modern media. Uh, I am old <laughs> school. But I just read Evan Osnos' fascinating piece in The New Yorker on a guy that I barely knew, Dan, is it, is it uh, uh, Bangino? Uh, he's the new Rush Limbaugh, and at one point he said he has a bigger audience than CNN, MSNBC, right. um, and others combined. I mean, that's a, that, that, that right-wing media is a real force. Right, and it reinforces once again that one of our more old-fashioned technologies radio is incredibly dominant in the country still. Uh, you know, th there's nothing new. He's just, you know, he's the new version of, you know, the the radio demagogues who have had a, a, a very tight hold on parts of the country going back, you know, to Father Coughlin during the Depression. Uh, 
Who's got, I've got a question for George, but who's got uh, somebody, something else they may want to bring up first? Anybody? I do. Okay. I, I wanted just to go back because, you know, I think that James's question about accountability on, on COVID is a really important one. And, you know, as someone who, you know, does study the news media and has been, you know, involved with it for most of my professional career, a, an oddity of our times now is I feel that we've never had a president or a vice president, meeting Biden and Harris, who are sort of more in some ways invisible and not in the forefront of the consciousness of the public than this pair of leaders. And maybe it's an effect of exhaustion post-Donald Trump, who dominated everything, but it, it seems like very weird to me. They, they, it, it's not just that they are poor communicators. And we've talked about in previous uh, Sunday sessions, you know, the horrible or the lack, the complete lack of a communication strategy by this White House. But it's, it's more than that. It's a weird absence of both leadership and the leaders themselves that I've, I've never seen in my uh, professional life. It, it just strikes me as odd. I don't think many Americans, you know, are really discussing Joe Biden very much or thinking about him very much. No, I, uh, I, I think it is. That is true. And it's certainly a, uh... You know, it's, it's the after but what What is that? I mean, what, what do the rest of us make of that? What, what is that? It... I think it has in large part to do with Biden being Biden and Harris being Harris and uh, a White House staff that doesn't let some of their talented people um, show, doesn't showcase some. Of their but people. I mean, Gerald Ford was more in the public consciousness than Joe Biden is. <laughs> You know, at least you had Chevy Chase's Saturday Night Live. Yeah, you can't skits, even get a good Saturday Night Live skit on Joe Biden. Yeah, uh, it, it's it's a real odd thing. And let me let me do this because I, I, I know James has to go fairly soon, and we're going to get to that. But before we get to our our outrages of the year, George, uh, I want you to go out in the limb now and tell us which film is going to win the Academy Award. In another couple months. Well, you you heard from Walter Dellinger earlier in the conversation that he saw West Side Story this morning in a theater right. and wept. And I would say that is a contender. There is another picture with a and the sound effect is appropriate because I'm about to mention a picture called The Power of the Dog. Right. <laughs> great segue, George. So that's great. Somebody, segue. Has, somebody has a powerful dog, um, and that's directed by Jane Campion, an Australian, a, an American Western maid in New Zealand. New Zealand, forgive me. And then uh, the third is a picture called Licorice Pizza, uh, which is a story of kids in 19... 
1960s North Hollywood, California, made by that very fine director, Thomas Paul Anderson, who won an Oscar for uh, This Will Be Blood in uh, about a decade ago, I guess. And I think it's going to come down to those three pictures. Well, all right. I take that as gospel because not only is George uh, an Oscar winner, but his dad, George Stevens Sr., was nominated, I think I'm right, George, five times for Best Director and won twice with, uh, uh, with Giant and A Place in the Sun. So if George Stevens says it, I'm taking it to the bank. As we wrap this right. up, uh, and I think, I, think, I think the dog has some very good observations about all this, but let's just go and very quickly, and James, we'll get you out of here. We're going to run through the outrage of the year. I'll go first. My outrage of the year, it's not Trump or any of his cronies. We all know how bad they are. It's those supposedly responsible Republicans. Senators Susan Collins, Ben Sass, Rob Portman, they know Trump is poisoning democracy by spreading lies and committing terrible acts. Yet when it comes to speaking out or supporting voting rights to counter the Trump-inspired lie about the election, they are AWOL, putting party ahead of democracy and the rule of law. So I went first. Walter Dellinger, you want to go next? Yes, you said exactly what I was going to say. I was going to call it the outrage of the years, the silence of the lambs. Yep. And it is. Uh, that, that, that is the real blow. Not, not the misguided uh, or malevolent rioters, but the, uh, the people that circle the wagons around this. Is, I never would have, you know, the Constitution assumed that we could have a crazed president like Donald Trump. But they assumed that it would be fine. The Senate would be there. The Senate would be there to, to put a check right. on, on a president uh, who did that. That's the, where the system has failed us. And they have, they have failed us, and they have failed the Constitution. Roger, you have an outrage? Well, I have a, a different version of the same outrage, which is the following. We live in an age now where not a single member of Congress, not one of the 535 members of Congress, the House and the Senate, appear willing to lose their job over principle. Uh, what about Liz Cheney? Yeah. Well, we'll see how that plays out. Um, but realistically, whatever it takes to keep their job and particularly in, in the relation to Trumpism, it seems every single member of Congress, we'll see what happens with her, is, is, uh, is willing to do. And I must say, if you've spent a lot of time in the private sector, as I have, in addition to government, you know, a lot of people don't like the private sector, this and that, but there are a lot of people in the private sector that are prepared to quit over principle. It happens every day of the week. You yeah. don't see that anymore in the public sector and I think it's outrageous. Well, I, I agree with that, except I do agree with Joe and Liz Cheney. George Stevens? Observation that's settled in me this year, and it has to do with um, the inequality of wealth. And I, I've just been thinking as I'm watching the billionaires send their rockets to the moon of you know, I know the democratic system has certain uh, uh, values, but do do we really should anybody be a billionaire? And should some this whole idea of multi multi billionaires? And we also have the experience 
of them getting divorced and making dual multi, multi, multi billionaires. <laughs> and it's and it's you know that 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 the expenditure of wealth is that great amount of money rests in so few hands. I think it says that there's something wrong with uh, with our system. I, I think that's a great one, George. And my outrage was going to be the immediate disappearance of, you know, raising taxes on the wealthy. You know, it was a, a kind of cornerstone of uh, the 2020 campaign for the Democrats. And it flew off the table with incredible speed from, you know, the big Build Back Better proposal. Uh, just, you know, the the lobbying brigades, like, put a knife in the back of, of that, and it just, it went off the table and, you know, hasn't been seen since. And I, I think that, that that's, that's an outrage. You're so right, Joan. The Reverend Al Sharpton lobbying against, uh, against ending the uh, carried interest loophole for millionaires and billionaires. James Carville, wrap it up. What's your outrage? We have the greatest criminal assault since Fort Sumter. How, how can you get any more outrageous than that? I, I mean, come on. They're four hours at the Capitol. They almost lost the whole thing. It, 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 it the through in the breezeway that the president comes out of. This, this, is the, this is the outrage of the century. No, go further back. It's our own people. I mean, you can't, how can you get anything worse than this? If you watch that movie, and it it's twenty times worse than you think. It is. Yeah. It's just awful. That it's just, there's nothing. It's just it's breathtaking, staggering. That segment, the battle for the tunnel, is is is, oh. is just the most. Oh. I mean, this is HBO. It's four HBO. Hours. Four hours at the Capitol. It's only about an hour and oh. a half, but it's just and just that focus on the, the the battle for the tunnel. I mean, that just tells the whole thing. And they were. Anyway, if I want to wish everybody out there a happy 2022. It's going to be better. Uh, it really is, I hope. I don't know why. But Joe Abramson, Walter <laughs> Dellinger, George Stevens, Roger Altman, thank you very much. Uh, and and uh, we, you will all join us at various times next year. Thanks. Happy New Year. Thank you, Al. Happy Bye -bye. New Year. Happy New Year. Hey, James, does it make sense that the same company who controls half of online retail also passively eavesdrop on your private conversations at home? Or that a single company controls 90% of internet searches, runs your email service, and can track everything you do on your smartphone? Big tech is more powerful than most countries, and they profit by exploiting your personal data. It's time to put a layer of protection between your online activity and these tech juggernauts, and that's why we believe in using ExpressVPN. Now think about how much your life is on the internet, and sadly, every site you visit, video you watch, or message you send gets tracked and data mined. 
But when you run ExpressVPN on your device, the software hides your IP address, which big tech uses to personally identify you. ExpressVPN makes your activity harder to trace and sell to advertisers while encrypting 100% of your internet data to keep you safe from hackers and eavesdroppers on your network. And ExpressVPN does all this without slowing your connection. That's why it's rated the number one VPN service by Mashable and TechRadar. What we like most about ExpressVPN is how easy it is to just download the app on your phone or your computer, tap one button, and you're protected. Our listeners should use it. Would you agree, James Carville? Well, the only way that I would not agree with it, if you listen to this show and you agree with the statement, I really trust big tech to protect my privacy, then you don't need it. <laughs> if you disagree with that statement, you need it. You know, I, I don't think there's a single person out there that says, man, I really trust these guys. I mean, Google, Amazon, and men don't worry. They all, they're never going to do anything with my private information. Are you kidding me? This is like the best investment you can make in privacy than you can imagine. Yeah, absolutely. So stop handing over your personal data to the big tech monopoly that James just talked about that mines your activity and sells your information. Protect yourself with VPN. I trust to keep me safe online. Visit expressvpn.com slash warroom. That's expressvpn.com slash warroom. To get three extra months free, go to expressvpn.com slash warroom right now to learn more. Hey, thanks for listening to Politics War Room with James Carville, and I'm Al Hunt. Don't forget to send your questions to us by email to politicswarroom at gmail.com or tweet them for next week's show at Politicon. Following this episode, we'd appreciate it if you'd check out the link to our sponsor, ExpressVPN, in the show notes. We thank you for supporting them. When you do, it helps make this podcast happen. To keep up with us, subscribe to Politics War Room on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Please rate the show with a five-star review. We'll be back next week as we turn another into another year and continue our War Room planning. <laughs>